Good morning and welcome. If we have not met before, my name is Jim Connor. I'm privileged to be one of the pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield and to, to be with you here this morning. Uh, so I extend my greetings uh, to you Cornerstonians uh, here and uh, also to our friends uh, at the Well and the Well Cafe. Uh, thank you for taking time to worship with us this morning. Uh, it is my tradition to try and, and start uh, my sermons with a, a funny story, but I had a hard time coming up with one uh, this morning, so I'm going to give you two. Um, there once was a baby elephant and a baby turtle drinking from a river deep in the jungle. And for no reason, the turtle reached over and bit the elephant's tail really hard. Years later, the same elephant, now grown up, is by that same river having a drink with his friend the giraffe. The same turtle that bit the elephant on the tail all those years ago also is at the river. Upon seeing him, the elephant goes over brings back its leg and kicks that turtle straight back into the jungle. The giraffe is amazed and scared, says, why'd you do that? And the elephant responds, well, when we were both babies, that turtle bit my tail for absolutely no reason. Wow, you have a great memory, the giraffe exclaimed. Yep, said the elephant, I've got what they call turtle recall. Number two, <laughs> I bought my friend an elephant for his room. He said, thanks. I said, don't mention it. <laughs> Let us pray. Let now the words from my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Benjamin Franklin once wrote that in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And today, the elephant in the room we talk about is death. In our United Methodist Book of Worship, the service of death and resurrection begins with these very comforting words. Dying, Christ destroyed our death. Rising, Christ restored our life. Christ will come again in glory. Here now, dear friends, we are God's children. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And because I live, you shall live also. Now, for those of us who have attended those services or even officiated at them, those beautiful words sometimes pass right over us because we are so lost in our own grieving. Or perhaps we are so concerned for those who are around us that we don't let them sink in. Jesus said, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And because I live, you shall live also. Now that's our starting point on this subject of death. We are a resurrection people. We believe in the promise of a life after death, of a place called heaven where there is no weeping, no more tears, where the light shines and the darkness will never overcome it. It is a place where our departed loved ones are right now, wrapped in God's everlasting arms, free from pain, free from worry, enjoying peace that they wish we now could have. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to try to understand, but we don't need to fully understand it. We just have to believe it. 
The topic of death is not easy. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot about what happens to us after we die. And so ultimately what happens after we die is a mystery. Now I know there's been books, I know there's been stories of people who've had near-death experiences and have come back and talked to us about, about light and dark, about long tunnels opening up onto green meadows. And while I don't want to discount those personal experiences, that, that doesn't do it for me. I, I think when all's said and done, it's a matter of, of faith and it's a matter of deciding whether we want to live as if this is all there is to live for or if by faith we can live as if we are finally and ultimately secure in God's love. And as a people of faith, that's certainly how we are called to live. One of my favorite passages that gives maybe a little bit of a glimpse of what heaven might be like is, is the 14th chapter of John. Uh, the disciples didn't understand much about death, but Jesus tried to help them be ready for his death by, by saying these words, let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom God will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. I love that passage for many reasons. Number one, the promise of the Holy Spirit to be there for us, with us, to remind us of all that Jesus had said, and, and to be that comforter for us. But I really like that image of a house with many rooms. In other translations, it's a mansion. I, I, don't, I don't think it really matters what we put in our minds, but I, I love that idea of this incredibly big house with a lot of rooms that are, are still empty for you and me and, and they're full of the folks who have gone on before us, our loved ones, those saints who helped to shape us and make us who we are. Talking about death and dying is an important thing for all of us to do, but I think many of us find it difficult because we're not sure what to say and we certainly don't want to say the wrong thing. So here are a few suggestions. Dr. Sandra Wheeler is the care professor of Christian ethics at Wesley Theological Seminary in DC. And, and these are some of her suggestions. Do not pretend that nothing has happened. When we know folks who have been diagnosed with a, a difficult disease, when people find out that they don't have long to live, when people have lost a loved one, our response shouldn't be to shun them our response should be to, to go and to, and to share with them, to be with them, to love on them. What we shouldn't do is try to offer an explanation as to why this is happening. We're prone to do that, you and I. We, we want to explain things. We want to sometimes pass blame as to why this is happening or that's happening. And sometimes we even want to, to blame God. We're called to help people to, to name and to ask their questions. We are allowed to ask questions. We're allowed to question God. We certainly are allowed to question the doctors and nurses as we're hearing these diagnoses and trying to understand what it means uh, to have this illness, what our options are. And we need to search for answers together. Uh, 
the Bible is, is full of stories of those who've questioned God and, and those who we believe should be able to question God because they had such a wonderful relationship. But they were so burdened, they so weighed down by the things that had happened, the surprises, the death, the, the devastation that they had come to believe that God didn't care or that God was unreachable. Few of us can respond as Job responded in that incredible book when he said after all of losing all of his family and his fortune, he, when he said the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In the midst of death in my own life, in the midst of some incredibly sad times, I assure you those are not the first words that came out of my mouth. But we all can take comfort that God who heard his own son cry out in despair is able to help us deal with our anguish and to walk with us in our darkness. There are also probably some things we shouldn't say. It was January in 1983, a very cold and icy night when William Sloan Coffin, the pastor at Riverside Church in New York, when his son went to a party, had a little bit too much to drink and was driving home. And he ended up driving home and came to an icy bridge and he lost control of the car and the car went into the water and Alex died. In his first sermon after the death of his son, William shared that the night that his son died, he was, night after his son died, he was sitting in his sister's house in the living room when a very nice woman carrying about 18 quiches, he said, came in and when she saw me, she shook her head, then headed to the kitchen and said, I just don't understand the will of God. Coffin said he jumped up and in hot pursuit he shouted out, I'll say you don't, lady. He continued in the sermon by saying, the one thing that should never be said when someone dies is it is the will of God. Never do we know enough to say that. My own consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die, but that when the waves closed over the sinking car, God's heart was the first of all of our hearts to break. I think that's one of the most profound lines that, that I've ever heard in, in a time of tragedy, that it was God's heart that was first to break. Now, I'm not here to, to try and get into a theological discussion about God's will, but I, I think there is something very um, helpful to know that we can believe something is God's will, but we can never really be sure until we're face to face and, and, and we can know that that truly was God's will. But by our saying it's God's will doesn't always help the person who is going through the tragedy. And so we have to be very careful about what we name and about what we use to help ourselves through a situation. He finished his sermon by thanking the congregation and saying, you gave me what God gives all of us, minimum protection and maximum support. I love that too. Uh, Coffin said that he wouldn't be able to be there if it wasn't for that congregation and for the love and the support he received from them. And I know a little bit about that myself, and I'll share that in just a moment. I uh, remember it was the same year, 1983, instead of January, it was December, and I was a chaplain at a suburban hospital in Chicago. It was the coldest day on record in Chicago. It was 30 below and about 60 or 70 below wind chill factor. I was the only chaplain in the hospital and, and we were always called upon to be with an individual or family when there was a death so that they could meet us before they left the hospital. 
And I got called to the newborn intensive care unit. And I heard that I was going down to meet with a couple who had just lost their baby daughter. It took me about three or four minutes to get from where I was to that newborn intensive care unit. And all the while I was trying to think of what I was gonna say. And you know, I could have had three or four hours, three or four weeks, and I still probably would not have been sure what to say. I walked in and this couple was clutching their baby. They were crying, they were holding on to each other. They didn't know me from, from Adam. And I, and I walked in and I introduced myself and I sat down and I started to cry. And I, I said, I'm so, so sorry. And I, I struggled to even say anything else. And finally I said, would it be okay if I offered a prayer? And so I said something to the effect that, God, please watch over this couple and help them to know of, of your love as they face the rest of this day and the days and weeks ahead. The couple was gracious. They, they thanked me and they left holding on to each other. And I faced the rest of that day dealing with that incredibly difficult situation, not from my side, but from their side. I imagine this couple going back to an empty house with a beautifully decorated nursery and toys waiting for this child who would never get a chance to see them or play with them. And I thought about how they were gonna experience the next day, the day when the whole world was giving thanks for the birth of a child, one that came in the manger, one that came that we might know love and we might know happiness and we might know how to live in a right relationship with God and with each other. I prayed for that family as I got in the car and drove up to a Christmas Eve service where I was asked to, to give the children's message. And as I got in my car and drove, I, I guess I didn't even realize that it was 70 below windchill and that I was so grateful my 1972 Nova started. <laughs> and in that 40, you know, Nova in Spanish means no go, by the way, just one of them. As I drove up to that service, all I could think about was this couple. And I kept praying that, that God would, would be surrounding them with love and that they would continue to hold on to each other. And I prayed that they would have a, a church home that would be able to, to be there for them as well. And then I started praying about all the other folks who were gonna be alone that Christmas. And then I prayed for God's strength to be able to, to be there and to share the joy that is part of the Christmas Eve celebration. I share that story with you because I, I want you to know that, that there have been many times in my life when I really haven't had what I consider to be the best words for an occasion. But it didn't mean that I wasn't supposed to offer them and it doesn't mean that you're supposed to offer them either. I am grateful for opportunities that we have to be there for each other there have been times in my life um, when I've needed folks more than I would have ever known, and those were at times of death, the death of my dad and the death of my wife. My dad died suddenly in May of 2004. My folks were moving from this split-level condo into a retirement center, a retirement village where they had their own individual cottage, uh, a parking spot, and, and it was just, it was a perfect move. They were downsizing. My brothers and I, who were spread across the map from New Hampshire to Massachusetts to Texas, uh, took turns moving in or going back to help them pack up. I got to help my dad pack up his office, which was incredibly um, 
was, it was joyful for me. It was, it was a grace-filled experience. We talked about a lot of things. And we, we also talked about death and dying. And we talked about his funeral, what that might be like. A week later, they, they actually moved. And they moved into the new place. And the next morning, my mom got up and found my dad had died in the bathroom. It was a tragic death, but, it, but in many ways, it was the, the timing really was, was quite okay. For you see, all of us as sons had had a chance to be there with my mom and dad and to name what we had known for all our years of the love we shared with each other. I was incredibly blessed because I had the chance to talk to my dad about those things that, that were important. I am a pastor because of the witness of my dad, and I continue to give thanks for the ways that he advocated for justice and inclusion, for love. My dad was the, the champion of the underdog. So he's probably rooting for Pittsburgh this afternoon. <laughs> my, dad, uh, um, my dad died at the age of 80, and while I would have loved to have more time with him, uh, and I was... Uh, so saddened that my mom was not able to enjoy this new place with him. I knew my mom was in good hands because my mom had an incredible faith community. And because she was moving into this new community that was part of a Presbyterian center that also would watch out for her and care for her. What I, I want to let you know is that each and every time I was with my dad, I always had a chance to tell him how much I loved him. And as we gather this afternoon for perhaps football uh, parties, for gatherings, for food and fellowship, I want you to surprise those who are with you. I want you to tell them how much you love them. We don't share that kind of message often enough, and especially with our family and, and friends. They, they need to know how we feel. And not only that, if, if there are those that we have in our family and friends that, that we have issues with, I think we need to do something about it. I think we need to extend forgiveness. I think we need to offer forgiveness. I think we need to bring up conversations that'll help us find some peace. Because you never know what tomorrow will bring or if tomorrow will even be there for us or for them. It is important for us to have those kinds of conversations, conversations about love, but also conversations that they get more at the heart of, of this topic, death and dying. I never thought I would be talking about DNRs and, and durable medical powers of attorney or, or about funerals or about cremation or that with, with my wife when we were in our early 30s. But when Lori was diagnosed with a brain tumor after our second son was born, I faced the, the prospect of being a single parent to a two and a half year old and a six week old. But my wife was not going to let that happen. She endured two incredibly long surgeries. And she came out of those surgeries um, with a, a great deal of nerve damage on the right side of her body. And she, she walked around much like a stroke victim. She had to learn to eat again, learn to speak again, learn to tie her shoes again, how to brush her teeth. All the while, while she was caring for a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a six-week-old and a 36-year-old. She was the most grace-filled, the most faithful, the best disciple that I've ever been privileged to meet and to be around. And I continue to be grateful for the example she showed me of how to live and how to love no matter what life has handed you. I got a chance to see my 
wedding video with my sons. And um, when we saw that, uh, I just marveled at the fact that my sons had never seen my wife before her surgeries. And I thought how, how tough that was, that they never got a chance to, to witness her in her all-American splendor, the one who could run circles and swim circles around me and anyone else. Then I realized that they were more even profoundly blessed because they got to know their mother post-surgeries, a woman that never complained, a woman that gave thanks for the gift of each day, who fought with every ounce she had to get stronger and to get better so that she could love on her boys. It was in 2015, I was at annual conference and my mother and father-in-law were in town and my mother-in-law got a chance to, to talk with Lori. Uh, they were so close and Lori shared with her mom that she was so concerned that she wouldn't be able to see uh, our youngest graduate from college. She was concerned that she wouldn't be there to be able to watch the guys get married. It turns out that she ended up dying in September of that year and that was the beginning of the senior year for our youngest son. And while she wasn't there physically in San Antonio when Zach graduated from Trinity, she certainly was there in spirit. It was a week ago Friday, my oldest son finally asked the girl he had been dating for four years to marry him, and she said yes. And the ring that he gave her was a ring that I had given to Lori so many, many years ago, and it fit her finger perfectly. And so while she's not there physically, she also will be there in spirit to watch him get married and hopefully Zach in the years to come. Lori and I were forced to answer some questions that people in their 30s shouldn't have to be answering about funerals and cremation, about those DNRs and, and about what is the kind of quality of life that you would be content with if things don't look good after the surgeries. But I tell you, those are important questions to, to ask and to know, to have those answered for, we don't know what tomorrow is gonna bring. It was with incredible sadness that we were forced to let her go, but I found comfort knowing that her limitations and pain were gone. I was grateful as I had preached for years that the message that she was now restored and redeemed and she was joining that company of that great cloud of witnesses who live in the nearer presence of our loving God. And that passage in Hebrews is such a wonderful passage which talks about that great cloud of witnesses. The great cloud of witnesses who are our balcony people, the people who are cheering us from above, watching over us, nurturing us, wanting us to know that peace that they know, loving on us even though they're not with us physically. They will always be with us in our hearts and in our souls. And that to me also gives more flesh to what I think heaven is like because that wit the cloud of witnesses is there in that house with many rooms. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, there's that part that says, I, I believe in the communion of saints. Dear friends, just as William Sloan Coffin was grateful for his congregation that carried him, that enabled him to get back in the pulpit, that loved on him at a time when he wasn't sure what he would do next, uh, my story is the same. Although it took me a lot longer than, than 10 days to give my next sermon. 
I am grateful for the, the folks at Genesis who carried me on their shoulders and helped me learn to live again, learn to serve again, learn to pastor again. And when I got over my own uh, pride and recognized that it was okay to talk to a counselor, it was okay to seek out help, things got a lot better. And while even two and a half years later, they're not perfect, I, I am certainly grateful to be able to be here and to share my story and her story, but to encourage you to have the boldness to share in some important topics with your loved ones. Death and dying cannot be an elephant in the room. Dear friends, we consecrated, we commissioned 53 uh, care chaplains, people who are trained to be there in times of need for you. But you don't need to be trained in order to, to be there for each other. You don't need to be trained to walk into a hospital room with somebody you know and love and maybe not ask them how they're feeling, but ask them what they're thinking. Ask them how that day is going for them. If they don't want to talk about anything, if they really are, seem very uncomfortable, then, then get out of there quickly. But as you get out of there, offer to pray. And you don't need to have a robe and stole. You don't need to be trained to pray. You just need to be willing to ask. And then offer a prayer like this. Dear God, pray for healing for Joe. In the midst of all that he's enduring right now, I pray for your peace, that he would know it and that we would know it too. Amen. It doesn't need to be a long, drawn-out prayer. We don't need to hit every theological point, but we just need people to know that we love them, that we care about them, that we're not afraid to talk about death or be surrounded by people who are ill or on their way to death. Hospice. Folks, hospice, what a great gift that is. If you don't know what it is, uh, they are wonderful people who can be there to help your loved one die in comfort or as comfortable as possible, and they can be there to nurture and care for you in the process. My wife was on hospice for nine months. Uh, the nurse came once a week until uh, later on in the process, and then the last five days, they were there 24 hours a day. Lori died at home. Lori died on her birthday. She waited till 2 a.m. on her 54th birthday to die, and I was next to her, and she opened her eyes and smiled and died. It is okay for us to be vulnerable and to explore things we don't know, but to learn more about them, and death certainly is one of them. So ask questions. Ask questions of your loved ones so that you know how you might be able to care for them. I think the best words of scripture that speak to this kind of a topic and really almost any occasion we find ourselves comes from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, the eighth chapter. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who will separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Words of comfort, words of grace, in times of dying, in times of living. May God grant us understanding that we might know how to face this day and the days ahead with courage and without being afraid to talk.
Amen.